everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Unbound and Rewound Horror Podcast where we dive deeper into every horror book and movie for a closer look at their bone-chilling anatomy. You didn't miss too much from last week because I took a break from my regularly scheduled content. However, did you listen to my interview with the angry black girl and her monster director, Bomani J. Story? If you didn't get the chance to listen, don't worry. That episode is live and waiting for you. It was such a fun first interview for me, and I hope for them as well. I hope for more interviews like this as well. So if you know anybody looking to be interviewed, uh, if you you if you yourself have a horror project and you want to be interviewed, reach out to me, let me know, and we can get something cooking. <laughs> if you're planning to see the film, make sure you check out the podcast episode or the YouTube video that I posted. If you're not planning to see it, watch it anyways. Maybe that'll change your mind. Make sure you're following me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Your Horror Podcast for the latest horror content and podcast updates, such as what to expect for every new episode. So a lot happens in one week, and a lot of new movies, a lot of new shows come out. What are we streaming? What are we reading? What are we watching? Um, for me personally. I'm pretty sure last time we talked, I said I finished Yellow Jackets. I'm still working on finishing Succession. It's going very, very slowly. Um, But I also started Cruel Summer, which released, I want to say, two years ago. And it's on Hulu. The first season had Olivia Holt in it. If you ever watched Kicking It on Disney Channel, or was it Disney XD? Um... And it was a good show. I really liked the concept and how they kind of portrayed multiple timelines and storylines as well. This season, though, I'm a little unsure about. I'm still on the fence. I'll continue to watch it just to kind of, you know, feel it out a little bit more. But the acting is a little questionable. Um, Yeah. That's all. That's really all there is, and there are multiple. There's like more timelines uh, in this season than last season. It takes place like you see it over the course of like the summer of 1999, the winter of 1999, and then the summer of 2000, and you're following two different people's stories. So it's just like it can get a little convoluted. Um, But I'm excited to see what's in store for the plot. Um, And movie-wise, I watched Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, because I will be doing an episode on that, and I'm so excited for that one. I've also been watching... (laughs) I rediscovered Waxworks, uh, which is a... like. It's like an 80s horror movie where these kids go into this wax museum... And they end up actually falling into the exhibits and like living in those exhibits. I don't know. It's a little difficult to explain, but it's very campy. And I found it on like on demand one time when I was in elementary school and I would watch it all the time. I was obsessed. So I rediscovered it, started watching it. And yeah. Um, And then what else am I? Oh, I'm watching The Blackening this week, as you're listening to this. 
Um, super excited for that. I watched Across the Spider-Verse. Oh my gosh. Absolutely obsessed with that movie. I was a little upset with the ending, but I mean, they got me. They fooled me for sure. And I also watched The Little Mermaid and I almost cried. I didn't cry, but I almost did. So that counts for something. But overall, the movie was so good. CGI was questionable in moments. Um, and there were some other things that were just like, like David Diggs' um, Caribbean accent was like, eh, okay, I see what you're trying to do. But for a live action, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. In a world where, col where like colors are being left out of movies, it was refreshing to see a bright colored movie again. I'm also still painfully working my way through Plain Bad Heroines. I'm actually no longer reviewing that for this month because it's taking me forever to get through the book. I have a lot of negative feelings about it, so I think it would just be better as a review on TikTok. This week, I'm excited to bring Black Queer Horror to the forefront as we approach Juneteenth. Juneteenth marks the commemoration of the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. It's a day we remember our history and celebrate our future and present. I didn't want to completely interrupt my Pride content with a Juneteenth special. I instead see it as an opportunity to discuss Black queer representation in horror and the icons that we have seen throughout the years. It's very easy to find information on Black horror if you search it in Google. It's even easier to find information on queer horror. However, when you try to find information on black queer horror, you're given scraps of information. This may be due to the general consensus that black queer representation in horror is hard to find. Now, you'll see Mindy from Scream 5 and 6 or Lafayette from True Blood pop up as a result. The most notable black queer horror icon is often noted to be Belle, in Fright Night Part 2. However, there are more than meets the eye. The first black queer character in horror is considered to be Bobby McCoy, played by Ted Harris, in Blackula. Bobby was bitten by Blackula and spent his time as a vampire luring men, in particular, to their death. Unfortunately, we couldn't be given proper queer representation without any 1970s homophobia. It would be a fun drinking game to take a shot after every homophobic remark made. This was during the black exploitation era of cinema. The heckling of queer characters was fodder used to increase the appeal. Black cinema was only a moneymaker when it was unserious and banking on harmful stereotypes. The next black character doesn't come around until Russell Clark's Belle in Fright Night 2, who doesn't really serve anything but androgynous looks and kills. And when I say serve, I mean they served. Comparing it to the first Fright Night, the queerness is actually toned down. The AIDS epidemic was at its all-time high when the original Fright Night released. By 1988 and the release of the second part, the U.S. was finally fighting back against the disease. And in 1990, the AIDS epidemic had calmed down from the ferociousness it once was. This is also when we saw the third ever black queer character, which is in Death by Temptation. A gay character named Jonathan is seduced and murdered. In this film, a succubus spreads death and disease, AIDS specifically, throughout Brooklyn, New York. 
At this time, and even still today, AIDS heavily affects the black community. Black people don't easily trust healthcare and medicine due to their trauma linked to the Tuskegee syphilis study. It caused a fear of needle injections particularly. So, due to a lack of accessible and affordable health care and health education in predominantly black communities, the epidemic quickly swept through. And would you believe it if I said that, like, when you look up black queer horror characters, those are the only three that pop up for, like, before the 2000s. In the 2000s, you know, like, and I, I'm about to, like, talk more about the specific ones that we see today. But, like, before then, there were really only three. And there might be more out there, too. But, I mean, I had to dig deep just to find these three. And, quite frankly, I don't know how much more digging I could have done. We honestly still aren't in a place with clear and honest black queer horror representation. But what we do have are trailblazers that I hope lead the way for what we deserve as a community. And so, I'm going to go through a few that stick out to me. Uh, some of them are shows, some of them are just actors that I feel are just really powerhousing the genre. And so, the first spotlight that I'm going to give is to True Blood. I'm going to be real, y'all. <laughs> Every time I hear a noise outside, I pause. And sometimes I pause for more than a minute. And I'm really tired of having to pause so that the noise will die down. Uh, so I'm just not going to do that, and I'm sorry if there's a sound interruption, but I can't keep pausing. <laughs> I can't keep waiting for the noise to stop because the noise just does not stop. Anyways, um, this series is an adaptation of the Sookie Stackhouse novels following a white female protagonist in a world caught in a race war between humans and vampires. The series paved the way for black queer characters to take up more space than ever, with Lafayette, played by Nelson Ellis, and Tara, played by Rutina Wesley. In the very first episode of the very first season, Alan Ball, the creator of the show, makes a clear statement that this is unlike any vampire universe or any vampire story you've ever seen before, with the help of Lafayette as well. We're introduced to Lafayette as he's cooking in... <laughs> cooking. Oh my gosh! We're introduced to Lafayette as he's cooking in the kitchen of Merlot's. He's wearing a sparkly headscarf, dangly earrings, and eye makeup. He's also wearing cargo shorts, combat boots, and a men's tank top. Arlene, a waitress at the diner, brings him food that was sent out and says the guy wanted his burger remade because it, quote-unquote, has AIDS on it. Excuse me. Who ordered the hamburger? with age. <laughs> I ordered the hamburger deluxe. In this restaurant, a hamburger deluxe come with french fries, lettuce, tomato, mayo, and AIDS. Do anybody got a problem with that? Yeah. I'm an American, and I got a say in who makes my food. Well, baby, it's too late for that. Fag has been breeding your cows, raising your chickens, even brewing your beer long before I walk my sexy ass up in this motherfucker. Everything on your goddamn table got AIDS. You still ain't making me eat no AIDS burger. Well, all you gotta do is say, hold the AIDS. Here. Eat it. 
Bitch, you come in my house, you gonna eat my food the way I fucking make it! Do you understand me? Tip your waitress. This is exactly what I'm talking about when I say, like, when I saw this scene, I knew that this this was not like anything I'd ever seen before. And I was so excited to get to know Lafayette more as a character because this was such a strong introduction to not only just a character, but a black queer character at that. You know, before this, what had we really seen of black queer characters? I mean, Belle in Fright Night literally did not talk, had no lines, which is... It's upsetting because I do think that that speaks, that speaks very well to how some black queer people can often feel is that they can't speak up and they, they do have to remain silent, especially as it pertains to their identity, just because of the way that queerness is stigmatized in the black community. With Tara, on the other hand, her intersectionality as a black queer woman and the trauma of her character were not served to their fullest potential. She was constantly put through the ringer and was never truly given the space to grow in the way other characters were. Her patterns of abusive relationships aren't used as a character development, but more so of a plot plumper. I do want to add that I don't think movies and shows always owe us rounded out characters, plots, or narratives. However, this series was lengthy. And they definitely had the space to give Tara both trials and successes. Especially as a black woman, all of her captors and abusers, besides her parents being white people, translates differently. And it's, there's almost an uncomfortability that comes with it when you do notice that all the people who are taking advantage of Tara, both emotionally, physically, and sexually, are all white people. And, you know, the same thing does happen to to Sookie to some degree but I do think that Tara gets the gets the brunt of everything in this show and I really wanted to see you know like I wanted to see her character empowered and I just never really felt that way and the last few seasons were actually really heartbreaking for Tara's character um but I've actually been, I've really wanted to rewatch that show because I loved that show. I just like randomly decided to start it. And when I did, I couldn't stop. And I told everybody about it because like I said in my queer horror, like episode that I did at the beginning of June for 2008, that show ran from 2008 to 2014 that show was progressive like the things that they were talking about the problems that were coming up like their characters their representation all of it like it's very commendable i've mentioned her before and i'm gonna continue to mention her because i am such a huge fan of hers i'm a fan of the work that she is putting into the industry and to the genre of horror miss jasmine savoy brown everybody and I've said it before, I'll say it again. If any of y'all listening to this happen to know Miss Brown personally, um, let her know that there's a DM from me waiting in her inbox on Instagram. I'd love to interview her. <laughs> I'd love I'd love to get a chance to talk to her. Um, how the how the corporate people say pick her brain. And obviously, this isn't a show or movie, but this actor has contributed to so much as it pertains to the horror genre. 
since her introduction to the genre in 2021. She embraces her own identity, and every character she has played in horror represents just that. Sound of Violence in 2021, Yellow Jackets 2021 to present, and Scream 2022 to present. Jasmine has spoken out about the historically straight cis whiteness found in horror and how it affected her interest in the genre. However, her character in, in the Scream franchise is queer. The big deal about it is that it's not a big deal at all. She's just a queer black woman existing, you know, running from your usual serial killer. Except Ghostface keeps wanting to say that he's different, and every time he is not different. Her work to progress the visibility of black characters and black queer characters goes beyond just playing the role. She speaks up in rooms where her voice is heard. On her show Yellow Jackets, she portrays a black lesbian, one of two black women in the, ab in the abandoned cabin. In the first season, you see very little of character Akila, played by Kia King, and even less of the two characters interacting. Jasmine felt like it was unrealistic for the only two black people in a group of non-black people to not stick together. Thankfully, the showrunners were open and understanding to this critique, and then you got the result of it in season two. So thank you so much, Jasmine Savoy Brown, for speaking up, because that was a very true that was a very true critique. Yeah, I'm so excited to see what Jasmine Savoy Brown um, does in the next, like, five years. I mean, she's already really, like, put her foot into the industry on the genre before Yellow Jackets, before Sound of Violence. Like, she was definitely in the industry. She had her foot there. She just wasn't doing horror. After seeing Queer for Fear, it seems like she knows what she's talking about. It seems like she's very knowledgeable on horror and so while i don't want her to be typecasted and to be stuck in the genre i do hope that she continues down this path of transforming what we once knew as the genre and making more space for people of color but specifically black people and black queer people to be a part of it my last little spotlight that i want to give is to a series that I had no idea would actually change my life the way that it did. <laughs> and this is Interview with the Vampire 2022. I briefly discussed this in my first episode this month on queer horror. You know, vampires are gay. That's just it. There's nothing more, nothing less to it. Those people are gay. However, the original film adaptation of Interview with the Vampire in 1994 was just slightly queer-coded. Maybe Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt didn't feel like locking lips, but the 2022 reintroduction to the story holds nothing back. They want us to see it all, and I'm so thankful for that. There was also a racial switch in, I don't know, I'm going to sound crazy saying it, but I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna give it a, a whirl anyways. Louis de Point du Lac. Right. So as a black queer man in nineteen in the nineteen tens of New Orleans, he faces several problems. Lestat views humanity as something inferior to him, and with that, the hatred and bigotry of humans. So he uses this to try to persuade Louis to become his eternal partner. The power that comes with vampirism also intrigues Louis 
as he's constantly reminded of his unstable social status by his white counterparts. You know, and that's something that I also really enjoyed about this series is that it was portraying black livelihood differently. It's the 1910s, and in the original interview with the vampire, you still saw black people as, like, servants. They were still doing a bunch of, like, work for white people. And I like how this, how this, like, rendition of it is kind of, it's kind of in the middle of that, um, because I think that if they were to, it definitely brings, um, new problems and new arcs to it than what we had before. And I think that if they had just dismissed the racial aspect of it in general, yeah, the story would all of a sudden mean something different, but I'm glad that they didn't completely just dismiss the racism of the time and the prejudice of the time. Um, Louis has a very prominent place in the neighborhood that he lives in and that he um, is a part of. However, everybody around him is very quick to remind him that it can all be gone. You know, if he steps out of line, it can all be gone. And so you just see him constantly kind of like knocked off his pedestal. And it's disheartening because, you know, it's so nice to see a black character, especially a black queer character, um, though he's closeted, like be in some sort of position of power, even if there are there there are still white forces above him and so despite residing in Storyville noted to be more accepting of black people you still see the prejudice in more subtle ways becoming a monster in a world where you're already considered one doesn't seem like a bad deal and this show is messy invigorating powerful and fun I loved every moment of it I really hope that they bring it back and I can't wait for them to bring it back I'm hoping that maybe it comes back around Halloween because that's when the first season came out. But, I mean, yeah, they were messy with it. Like, it's it's a messy show. It It's like, yeah, they're vampires, but at the end of the day, they're still just a regular gay couple. <laughs> like, like, Lestat is polyamorous, but Louis wants a family, and he's monogamous. And so... It's just, it's fun to watch because I think it is a very unique depiction of vampires, but also of just like the story that we've all heard of and seen before. Um, so yeah, that's on AMC Plus, um, which I personally love AMC Plus. I think it's worth to have, especially during October, because you could also stream Fear Fest live. Like, I got a trial for AMC Plus for the month of October so that I so that I could watch Fear Fest all October long. It's worth it to me. Um so yeah, but this this is this is what sucks about uh talking about this subject is that now it's been a short episode. I literally there's nothing more or less that I could talk about. Like I mean, don't get me wrong, like there are other black queer movies um, or like characters and stuff like that. It's just, it's really difficult to find black queer characters to talk about. 
Um, like I was saying before, it was really difficult to even find any sort of history on black queer horror. If what I've said before doesn't hold up enough for you, let that be all the proof that you need. The fact that you can't really find anything on the subject of black queer horror. And I really do hope that we're able to find more. Um, I mean, it's taken us forever just to get black representation in horror, like adequate black representation in horror, not the black exploitation, not the not the black person who always dies first. None of that, like like authentic um, visibility in horror. It's taken us forever, and we're still working on it. And I really do hope that in the next five years, even we're able to see. A, a very powerful shift in that because like you know I always say it horror is gay I mean like you know horror is gay gay representation exists in horror it's always been there and I do think that black queer people are often erased when when we talk about the LGBTQIA community and the struggles and I just, I don't think, especially because horror has always been for the others of society, like, that intersectionality is right there. Let's not, let's not dismiss it, let's not forget about it. It's right there, and all of the movies that could be made about it, like, come on now. You all are missing out on opportunities. So, that's all I gotta say on the matter. Um... But yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry that this episode was so short. I mean, maybe it's to make up for the fact that my Midsommar episode was an hour and 30 minutes long. Uh, that, you know, this is a short one. I feel like a short episode every now and then isn't terrible. You know, you can only listen to me talk for so long. So maybe it's good. Maybe it's a nice little break. But I will say my, ni my Nightmare on Elm Street episode coming up at the end of the month will be so full of information and like it'll be so full of everything you need to know about the Nightmare on Elm Street sequel and all of the drama behind it all of the gayness behind it like everything and I'm really excited for it too because I've got some good I've got some good content for y'all I'll also be reviewing the blackening next week of course, I don't know how long that episode will be just yet because I haven't, at, at the time that I'm talking to you about it, I haven't seen it. Um, so maybe I'll have a lot to say on it. Maybe I won't. Who knows? But either way, a review will be served. Um, so yeah, and then that will, both of those will mark the end of Pride Month. Sadly, so sad. And you know what? No, because the blackening has a queer character in it. So look at that. Look at that. We're just adding queer characters right onto the list of what? The six that I talked about on here. <laughs> um, make sure that you're following me on all my social medias, on um, Letterboxd, if you want to see what I think about the blackening before I post my podcast episode on it. Make sure you're following me there at Avery COF. All my other social media handles are your horror podcast because this is your horror podcast where you get all your horror content from tiktok is always blowing up so make sure you're following that 
sometimes I post little snippets of the podcast. Sometimes I just like post little previews of my thoughts on stuff before the podcast episodes air. So if you ever want little like bonus bonus content like that. And yeah, next month I'm so excited because uh, it's all summer camp themed to round out summer. And then I take a, another month off for my little monthly break to prepare for the next upcoming season so that I can make sure all my ducks are in a row and that I'm just making the best horror content for you all that I can. Maybe, maybe next season I'll have another director interview. Who will it be? I don't know. I don't know, but it'll be someone. And yeah, and then every season I'll just be building up. I'll be collecting all of the directors like the Infinity Stones. Oh, imagine. Yeah, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope that I gave you some suggestions, some recommendations to check out. If you haven't seen Yellow Jackets, don't know why, but if you haven't seen Yellow Jackets and you're looking for some black queer fun, uh, check that out. If you haven't seen Interview with the Vampire, don't even watch the 1994 one. Please, I beg you, do not watch that. Watch the 2022 one instead. Um, and then True Blood. True Blood is on, It's I guess it's Max now. HBO Max, but Max. It's on there. So it, it is a lengthy, it's a lengthy series. But if you're into something, if you're looking for something to binge, definitely make that like your priority uh, because it's such a great show and if you have any black queer horror recommendations for me that I you know might have not mentioned or that like you feel like it needs more attention definitely let me know you can always reach out to me on Instagram on TikTok or on Twitter um, and yeah thanks so much again for tuning in and I hope to catch you next episode PhD in black cinema, sister soldier. Listen, I read my entertainment weekly, okay? I know my shit.